Cheers, Tone. Uh, if you want to get Ruth chapter 2 uh, back open, it was on page 267. So if you want to get your Bibles out, turn to page 267, Ruth chapter 2. It's important that we have the Bible open in front of us so that you know anything I'm saying is coming from the Bible. So please get Ruth chapter 2 open. On the 18th of March 2020, it was announced due to the outbreak of COVID-19 that schools across the country would close. And on the 19th of March 2020, Marcus Rashford, the Manchester United and England centre forward, aged 22, posted this series of tweets. Tweet number one. Guys, across the UK, there are over 32,000 schools. Tomorrow, all of these will close. Many of the children attending these schools rely on free meals. So I've spent the last few days talking to organizations to understand how this deficit is going to be filled. He continued, I wanted to understand the scale of the problem and how we can reach vulnerable children. It's not just schools, it's community centers, breakfast clubs, etc., that provide the only meal many kids get each day. No child should have to worry where their next meal is coming from. Marcus Rashford, who as a kid himself received free school meals, recognized that for thousands and thousands of children across the country, the closing of schools would deny them one of their daily meals. Tragically, in some cases, their only daily meal, and if not their only daily meal, potentially their only cooked hot meal of the day. MPs had previously voted against providing meals for these children during the pandemic. And so Marcus Rashford began his campaign to provide food for, for some of the most vulnerable and at-risk children in the country. He partnered with Fair Share and various supermarket chains to meet the needs of these children. His campaign received national acclaim, he was publicly praised, and his campaign put huge pressure on our government. On the 16th of June, Rashford had a phone conversation with Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And on the 17th of June, the government agreed to make a U-turn and join Rashford in supporting the most vulnerable children in our society. I just want to emphasize that for many of our children, the meal they receive at school is potentially their only meal of the day. There are people in our community for who that is true. There are children who come into our youth works every week for who that is true. And there are members, there are brothers and sisters in our church family, and that is true for their children. It's a reality of the world in which we live. And I wonder if Marcus Rashford, who grew up in a home with significant biblical and Christian influence, was inspired by the account of Ruth. And I say that because the free school meals campaign led by Marcus Rashford, which received the nation's love, whether he or we are aware of it or not, is steeped in God's Old Testament law. The idea that those in positions of wealth, power, prosperity and resource should look to proactively care, provide and uplift the most isolated, vulnerable and poor in society is taken straight out of the Old Testament. And the situation that Ruth and Naomi find themselves 
in Ruth chapter 2 is even more precarious than that of our children in March 2020. Two women who through the death of their husbands have no identity, no social status, no income, no one to provide for them, no protection, and no power. Add to that that Ruth is a foreigner from the land of Moab, the enemies of Israel. And what we've got is two incredibly desperate and vulnerable women. And as we move through this chapter, it's essential that we don't forget just how vulnerable and powerless Ruth and Naomi are. They have lost it all. They are more than likely still in deep mourning and grief for the husbands they have lost. They have had to move from Moab back to Bethlehem. They're alone. They're in despair emotionally, physically, socially. And Naomi was pointed out last week spiritually too. They are in a real vulnerable place. And the temptation in chapter 2 can be to focus on Ruth and Boaz and to make them the heroes, to turn this into a, a Cinderella and Prince Charming love at first sight Disney classic. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, my prayer has been in prep for this talk. There's what we'll see in Ruth 2 is not the character of Ruth and the character of Boaz, but the character of our God. A God who through his love for the vulnerable and his provision of the law, he then uses the brave faith of a woman and the obedient faith of a man to reveal his generous, gracious, merciful, and loving nature. That's our aim tonight, to wonder at our God and how God's law is a picture of God's love. I'll say it again, our aim tonight is to wonder at our God and how God's law is a picture of God's love. My first point this evening is gleaning. I was really proud of myself. I've got three Gs for my three points. So we'll start there, gleaning. It's our first point this evening. So often when we think of the law of God, we think of it negatively. It's oppressive, it's restrictive, it's controlling, it's telling you what you should and you shouldn't do. And the Old Testament law, with its 613 commandments, covered everything from how you should worship God, to who you should sleep with, to what you should and shouldn't eat, and even how you should farm your land, which can seem a bit ridiculous. How can I possibly farm in a godly way? Why is it that God even wants to have a say on something so day-to-day, so basic, so ordinary? But God, in his wisdom and compassion, gave his people a law that would require them to live to a standard and set them apart from all the other people. A law that through its application would illustrate his love for his people, but not just the Jews, for all people. And the farming laws were designed to provide an ancient welfare system, to provide a system not too dissimilar to Marcus Rashford's recent free school meals campaign. And for us to understand Ruth tonight, we need to understand specifically gleaning laws. So if you want to turn to Leviticus 19, please join me in turning there. If not, I will read Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. This is what it says in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, 
or gather the gleanings, the left behind of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. The people of God are giving clear instructions. Don't harvest to the very edges of your field. Leave some of it untouched. Leave behind whatever you don't harvest the first time round. Leave whatever you drop on the floor. Leave all your gleanings behind. Don't go back and pick them up. Don't go over the field twice. Don't harvest every inch of land. Don't try and maximize your profits. Don't look to fill your stomachs. And harvesting would involve two teams. The first team would be a group of hired men. They would have sickle in hand and they would walk across the field together, chopping down the crops. And then they would lay the stalks on the floor. And the second team would be hired women. And then they would come through the field and they would bundle up all the stalks. And lastly would come the poor and the foreigner. And they were allowed to pick up whatever was left behind. People like Ruth, a hungry, widowed, unaccounted for, foreign woman. It's this law that allows Ruth to say in verse two, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Make no mistake, this law is in place to provide for the vulnerable, to protect the poor and the foreigner. It's supposed to be implemented by the Jewish people. But Ruth saying, I'm gonna go out into these fields and do this, she is putting herself at incredible risk. Remember, these events in Ruth aren't taking place in a time in Israel's history where they're following God, where everybody is doing what God says and implementing God's laws. In Ruth chapter one, verse one, we read, we are in the days of the judges. When the people of Israel have rejected God, they've rejected his rule, they've rejected his law. Everybody is doing as they see fit. There is not a single guarantee that when Ruth goes into these fields that she will be treated well, that she will be safe. You cannot be more vulnerable than Ruth. A foreign, widowed, unaccounted for woman going into fields run by men in a godless society. She is so vulnerable. And yet, out of dedication to her mother-in-law and the vow she's made, she goes out into these fields to glean, to humbly go and pick up grain off the floor to feed herself and her mother-in-law. And it's when she goes out to glean that we meet Boaz. And in Boaz, we see God's love, law of love pushed to its extreme, an incredibly generous response. Second uh, heading this evening is generosity. Ruth has not stumbled into any field. She has, through the careful planning of God, began to glean in the field of Boaz. And Boaz, as we read in verse one, is a relative of Elimelech. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. He is related to her deceased husband, Ruth's deceased father-in-law. He's a man of wealth and stature. He's well-known in the community. He owns fields. He employs harvesters. 
But it is not Boaz's wealth and stature that should leave an impression on us this evening. It's his godliness. Look at how he greets his harvesters in verse 4. The Lord be with you. And they respond, the Lord bless you. In the days of the judges, here is a man who greets his employees in the name of God. And they respond in joyful, God-filled respect. Boaz just oozes godliness. This isn't a casual, hello mate, God bless you. This is a heartfelt, the Lord be with you. And their response shows that they too follow God. The Lord bless you. Boaz is one of those men who is so devoted to his God that it saturates every aspect of his character. Do you know anyone like that? Someone just completely unashamed of the gospel with just genuine passion for God. They can't help but talk about Jesus. I work with a colleague who no matter how ordinary our conversation or no matter how mundane the task we have to do, he can link it to doing it for God's glory. And he's genuine with it. When he says he'll do something for somebody at work, he does it giving up his own time, knowing he'll have to add that onto his day later, and he'll do it to the best of his ability for that person. I say, why'd you do that? For God's glory. For God's witness. He says to me sometimes, what can I pray for you this week? And I tell him on a packed 533 from Wimbledon, and he prays for me on the train. And it catches me out every time. But he just oozes godliness. Boaz is like that. It starts with his interaction with his employers, but it extends to all those who are in his fields. You know, the fact that Ruth is in Boaz's field at all shows that Boaz implements the gleaning laws. He allows them to take place. He puts laws in place that reduce his own profit margins so that he can supply and give dignity to the poor and the vulnerable. Boaz greets in the name of God. He lives by the law of God. And now we see how he cares for people no matter who they are. Verse 5. Who does that woman belong to? Remember, we are in heavily patriarchal ancient Israel. A woman's identity is in her husband. Boaz is basically asking, I don't recognize that woman. Who is she married to? What family is she from? And not because she is some dazzling princess obscured by some rags on her back and, and dirt on her face like Jasmine walking through the town in Aladdin for the day. And not because he's locked eyes with her across the barley like some old Irish classic and they've heart of skipped to beat. No, he asks who she is because as a godly man who allows the poor and vulnerable to glean in his fields, he knows who's there every day. And he's never seen her before. And he wants to know who she is. The hashtag MeToo movement centers around men of power wealth and resource, using their positions of authority to engineer abuse against the women around them. Boaz is not like that at all. Boaz is the opposite of everything Ruth is. He is a man, she is a woman. He is wealthy, she is poor. He has resources, she has nothing. He is secure, Ruth is vulnerable. 
He has no reason to care who she is at all. They are at complete opposite ends of the social spectrum, and yet still he cares about who she is. Why? Because as a man of God, and as a man who followed God's law, he sees her as an image bearer of the Lord his God, a person of dignity, worthy of respect. And when she walks into his field, he notices, he notices Boaz is paying attention. He's paying attention to his God. He's paying attention to his God's laws. And as a result, it's impacting his whole life. And it's leading him to pay attention to those in his circle of influence, even strangers. Even strangers. As we heard this morning, Jesus would say thousands of years later, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Boaz is living that out. He loves God. He loves people. Do we? Members of KCC, when we see someone new walk into our church, do we notice them? Do we ask who they are? And I don't just mean the lovely new family with a nice car who pronounced their T's. I mean everyone. Those who visibly look rough around the edges. Whose needs look visible. Do we notice? Do we care? Do strangers feel welcome when they walk through those doors? I wonder, has anyone ever walked into our church and left again and no one has ever said hello to them? As a church, do we look to serve the most vulnerable in our community? The answer to that may well be yes, but it's a question we should always be asking ourselves and can we do more? Are we extending the love of God to reach the practical needs of the community around us? Are we a place of refuge? If people walked into the King Center, would they hear in our day-to-day conversations the name of the Lord our God like you would hear when you walked into Boaz's field? Or are our conversations filled with everything but the name of God? Would it feel different than walking into a well-run council community center? Would it feel different? Are our lives saturated by God to the extent that the way we speak and act speaks of the God we say we love? It's a challenge, isn't it? Are our lives saturated by God to the extent that the way we speak and act speaks of the God we say we love. Boaz's overseer explains to Boaz who Ruth is. But there are two details in his report in verse 7 which I think are worth noting. Firstly, Ruth has made an incredibly bold request. Please let me glean among the sheaves behind 
the harvesters. Remember the traditional order? It went hired men, hired women, then the poor and vulnerable. Ruth is saying, can I go in with your hired women? Can I sort of skip the queue? I know that's how you've traditionally done it, but that's not what the law says. The law says you should just leave some behind. So why can't I go in then? Ruth is asking to be allowed to go in when hired ladies do. And notice what she's been doing all day while the overseer's probably gone, okay, first day, a bit bold, but okay, I've got to wait for Boaz to arrive and then I'll ask him. She doesn't go, okay, I'll wait. While she waits, she gets to work. She's putting in some proper graft in the Middle Eastern sun. She's gleaning and gleaning and gleaning so that she can provide for Naomi and herself. Everything about her screams new convert, doesn't it? Do you remember that energy you have when you first become a Christian and you're just buzzing and you're setting the chairs up and you're you're volunteering here and you're doing everything you can? Ruth's got that here, that new convert energy to do all she can, a boldness to ask for things. And this is where we see the gracious and generous response from an experienced man of faith in Boaz. Verses eight to nine are amazing. He says to her, my daughter, A woman whose whole identity has been lost has just been called my daughter. What affection, what genuine love. He says to her, don't glean anywhere else. Stay in this field. She's had no one to provide for her. Now she has provision. Everything she needs is in his field. He grants her request of gleaning alongside hired women. She now has dignity and status that she hasn't had since her husband died. She has protection. Boaz says, not a single man will lay a hand on you. She's protected. And she's got water. Boaz says, whenever you're thirsty, go and grab a drink. You don't need to be thirsty in the hot sun anymore. Ruth makes a bold request, and Boaz gives a generous response. Why? What's Ruth, what, that's Ruth's big question, verse 10. Look at verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz's response is not motivated by romance, but by this woman's heart for God, evidenced in her bold requests, her hard work, and her dedication to and for her mother-in-law. You see, when Ruth pledged to Naomi in Ruth chapter one that Ruth's God would be her God, she meant it. She left behind her whole life and she's completely thrown herself in to supporting her mother-in-law. Boaz is moved by Ruth's heart and he blesses her and asks God to bless her because she sought refuge under the wings of our Lord. Isn't that a great picture? Under the wings of our Lord. Between Ruth's request and Boaz's response, we see the beauty of the law and the love of our God. The laws of the Old Testament reveal the character and nature of our God. A God who cares for the most vulnerable, a God who wants to ensure that all people are treated with dignity and respect that they deserve, a God who longs to see people not trodden down but lifted up, and who wants us all, no matter who we are, to come and take refuge under his wings, that he will be our God and we will be his people. Ruth's request, Boaz's response, 
shows that God's law isn't just to be observed to the minimum, which is what I think we have a habit of doing. When you push God's law to his extreme, you just see even more how awesome he is. God's love is seen more clearly the more these laws are pushed to reveal how much God loves people. The, the generosity doesn't stop there. She, she eats at Boaz's table in verse 14. She has leftovers. In verse 15, he, he instructs the harvesters to leave entire stalks out for her. She leaves the field that day with 13 kilograms of barley. She started the day with nothing. But through God's law, the bold request of a faithful woman and the generous response of an obedient man, we see the love of God revealed. And this is just chapter two. The best is yet to come. Ruth returns home and Naomi can't believe her eyes. Where did you glean today? She asks in verse 19. And Ruth fills Naomi on the details. I was in Boaz's field. And Naomi, do you remember Naomi? Call me bitter. She felt she had no hope left. We see a tinge of excitement. May the Lord bless him. He is one of our third point, guardian redeemers. I don't want to tread on Mike's toes too much. He's preaching on guardian redeemers next week. But I do want to say this. In a chapter which has shown us God's law and how it caters for the most vulnerable in society, how God's law provides a way of people to be loved and treated with dignity, what we also see in God's law is that our God is a redeemer. He is a God who redeems. Redeems. And as this breeze of Jesus blows through Ruth chapter two, I just want to know that the pattern of the Bible isn't just God wants to provide wheat and barley for the vulnerable. It's not that. He wants to save them. He wants to redeem them to purchase them back for himself, to reinstate them, to adopt them. There is an incitement here that grows as we know that Ruth's future might not just lie in having lots of barley. This man might be able to redeem her, to restore her to where she should be. And it just screams Jesus. It just screams Jesus. And if you're ever wondering if God loves you, if you're like Naomi and you're dealing with so much hurt and anguish, you're experiencing emptiness. You've expressed your emptiness and you know you might expect more emptiness to come. Just know there is this ray of hope written into the law of God that reveals his character as a redeemer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you can open your Bibles up and you can look at the promises of God to redeem people and see them fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, because he loves you, and it's in his very nature to redeem. God's law is a picture of his love. And if you're sitting here tonight and you don't know Jesus, talk to a Christian and ask them this question, how were you redeemed? How were you redeemed? Tonight, Aidy's down the other end of the building, Aidy Park, talking to about 22, 23 YPF about how God redeemed him how he became a Christian because God loves him. Every Christian has that story. So ask a Christian if they can share that with you. The law of God reveals the character of God, a God who loves all people and wants to redeem them to himself. 
I'm going to invite the band back up at this point. Uh, and whilst they're walking on stage, I just want to share with you uh, a verse from a hymn that my mum used to sing when she was cleaning the house. And it's been in my head all week as I've been pre- preparing Ruth too. It's a, it's a golden oldie. It says, My song is love unknown, my Saviour's love to me, love to the loveless shown, that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take for flesh and die? That's the love of our Jesus Christ. To love the loveless. To love the loveless. Let me pray and then I'll hand over to Dave and the band. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of love and that your law reveals your love for all, even the most vulnerable. And Lord, we pray for that little snippet of hope this evening that you are a guardian redeemer. Lord, you redeem people to yourself. I just pray, Lord, as we go away, we might think through some of the application points tonight about how we as a church treat the stranger, whether our lives reflect the God we claim to love. And Lord, you were just challenged on that this evening. Amen.